1: evening everyone good news everyone sorry (laughs) (laughs) Uh, actually bad news Uh, Kevin's a little bit under the weather so uh, you're gonna be stuck with me tonight but to make up for it we have the amazing Steve Bryant here and you know how Kevin and I love artists because you know we're writers and we all all of us writers envy artists so we have a writer and an artist here Steve Bryant hi Steve hey how's it going (laughs) Doing all right. It's
0: a... it, it's kind of cool because uh, I was on like way back when you and Kevin were first like talking about this. There was no cool fancy intro. There was no nothing. <laughs> I I think it was us and um, uh, the the word grows.
1: Oh, cool! Very so, cool.
0: Yeah, it was forever ago, like two years ago.
1: Yeah, you know the um, that whole intro. That makes us look way more professional than we actually are i think you know that
0: <laughs> oh that my whole career is built on that yeah
1: exactly well so uh funny story uh before we get started here um we had uh, the northwest arkansas comic con here uh well i live in fayetteville but when you get right down to it fayetteville uh rogers fayetteville springdale rogers and bentonville are kind of all one Big Northwest Arkansas City. So it was in Bentonville. It was basically 20, 25 minutes from my house. And um, don't tell anybody. But I don't think that they knew who I was because they treated me like I was a sort of celebrity and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Can't they
2: Maybe
0: they listen to the show.
1: <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but there was a, they had tape on the floor in front of my table and they had, you know, my picture up. And I was like, wow, they really don't know who they're dealing with. So <laughs> that's pretty
0: cool. How, how did the show go for you?
1: It was actually, it went really, really well. Um It's. It's nice to get out and talk to people. Uh, I also did a, a panel on uh, writing comics and then a panel on kickstarting comics. And they were both really well attended. It's it was just a lot of fun to be able to get out and talk to people. I mean, I know we're still pandemic and I it has been five days since the con I tested and I'm I'm clear. So yay, I did Ooh. not catch anything. <laughs> the vaccinations work. But uh, it was, uh, you know, nice to, I'm sure my, you know, my uh, con mate, you know, next door at the table uh, beside me got tired of hearing the pitch for Crossover Division or the pitch for Diary of Night.
0: <laughs> but I mean, that, that's always the way it is. I, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, by, by the end of like San Diego Comic-Con, I can, you know, pitch my neighbor's Books oh, yeah. For them. And they, <laughs> I'm sure they can pitch mine for me. So, you know, it's I, I think we're all used to that. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was it was nice. Um, I, I do miss cons. I, I. I loved that it was, you know, 20 minutes from my house and that, you know, there were no table fees. So it That's was good. nice. But we're not here to talk about my enjoyable con experience. We're here to talk right. about a certain project that might be kicking serious buttocks on uh kickstarter right now what can you give us the 30 second pitch and then we'll dive headlong into it and, and, and talk about it in great detail
0: sure so um the book is evie and the helsings and the elevator pitch is for centuries the van helsing uh family has project uh protected uh humanity from the things that go bump in the night but the last surviving protector has died, and she only has her daughter left. And her daughter, Evie, just wants to rock. So it's it's a whole it's a whole riff on <laughs> like, well, okay, originally, I this lived on on my uh, desktop for years. Um, just the whole way I explained the premise, I had just done, when the idea hit me, I did a mock-up logo, and it was the words Van Helsing done in the old Van Halen logo. And in yeah. my original pitch, it was Eddie Van Helsing. Um, so, you know, that that was the whole thing. And, and then when he passed, obviously, that would be in bad taste. Yeah. But um, Don, had, I, I spoke with my friend Don Cardenas, who's just a terrific uh, artist. And um, he said, well, what if you gender swap the lead and make it Evie? And that just led to a whole a whole thing. So we we kind of built it out from there.
1: Um, okay, I, well, I mean, you
0: asked for an elevator pitch, and I just gave you the the encapsulated right. history. You,
1: you know how things work around here. We just do things, you know, whatever <laughs> works. Um, now you're a pretty darn amazing artist yourself, so I I have to ask a question. Um, I mean, Athena Voltaire. Um, you know, I'm 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 a fan and I'm gonna guilt you into doing a cover for me one of these days, but it would be no beyond guilty. that. I
0: really enjoy <laughs> I, I, I wrote you like a fan letter after I after I got that first uh,
1: crossover division. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, glad but, um what what kind of made you choose to not do both the writing and the art? Uh, and, and you know, work with, with Don on this one?
0: I am incredibly slow. Um, and every time I think, oh yeah, I can do this in my (laughs) downtime, I can't even get through the sentence without, without laughing. (laughs) Um, just I'm slow and, uh, you know, Athena Voltaire right now is kind of held up, um, because, uh, I'm part of a a class action lawsuit against Mm -hmm. the publisher Action Lab. Uh, Mm -hmm. there's like 40, uh, creative teams involved in this and um my contract for the book is up in 2026 anyway so mm-hmm. if i have to just run out the clock i will but you know i i, I want to have some athena stuff ready uh one that way or another
2: mm-hmm.
0: so it just made sense to uh to reach out to friends and in addition to being um an excellent artist don is just a, a terrific musician you know a guitarist bassist he can he you know, can program uh, the hell out, a uh, heck out of the drum machine, and uh, yeah,
1: it's hell. We're after ten. Okay. It's hell, man. Okay. <laughs> but
0: yeah, I mean, he he does a great job with it. Um, so downtime. What? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can relate, Johnny. Yeah. I can Shani, totally yeah. relate.
1: Yeah, Shawnee says downtime. What the heck is that? Yeah, I agree, Shawnee, completely. <laughs> so, um, awesome. I mean, you've. I know. I was. I I feel kind of lucky, you know, we have our our group uh, that we uh, we chat with a lot, you know, you know, behind the scenes. And I remember you showing us, you know, the cover, you know, the first cover for for Evie and going, hey, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be doing this. Like, I mean, it looked beautiful. It it is a beautiful book. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. I know you've got uh, you know what? Why don't we take a look at it? Do you want to try to share the screen or would you like me to share it?
0: If you don't mind, that would be good because I I think I'm just afraid everything will go black.
1: Gotcha. (laughs) Not a problem. All right. I am going to share. And here we go. Cross those fingers. And away we go. Can you see it? I can. All right. I think I'm sharing it. Woohoo. All right. Excellent. Excellent. So, again, you know, that was one of the uh, first images you showed us as your project image, I think, you know, a while back. Uh, You are absolutely kicking butt. I mean, that is already, you know, blown past 300 backers, and you still have way more of the, uh, you know, the campaign to go then uh you've already got finished so that's that's amazing congrats man
0: thank you well deserved Uh, it it was a real surprise um i i think uh the athena voltaire campaigns have been comparable but i mean Mm -hmm. that's also a book i've you know been doing for started as a web comic nearly 20 years ago so Mm -hmm. actually 20 years ago um so that has you know a, a bit more of an audience but I I was I don't think Don or I were either expecting um mm-hmm. this, this good of a reaction to something um that nobody knew what the heck it was. So I, I feel like you know we 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 just came at the right time I think.
1: Uh nice. Well, I mean, and you have some uh some pretty awesome uh variant covers uh, which I uh I'm kind of I I didn't go for it but i i love just the feel of the 70s (laughs) marvel-esque i mean it's just so spot on it is a blast i'm gonna i'll move down to it
0: yeah okay first uh that the one we're looking at right now is Mm -hmm. the main cover of the book and uh don penciled inked and colored it
1: nice very nice and i i i love your uh you know oh we've got some stretch goals hey that one's staked chunk
0: <laughs> it writes itself it's a vampire book come on yeah.
1: <laughs> They don't suck oh, sorry oh uh, all right <laughs>
0: tip your bartenders and waitresses i'm here all week that's
1: right that's right <laughs> um yeah it's funded in 26 hours that's that's amazing i'm trying to find the are the covers further on down
0: yeah yeah i'm sorry yeah we've got a few preview pages um, I can cool. talk while while you scroll down. Um, okay. it's again penciled and inked by Don Cardenas. Um mm-hmm. on Twitter, it's D-O-N-C-A-R-D-E-N-A-S Art cool. A-R-T. Uh, no spaces. So and uh colored by Jason Millet, uh J A S O N underscore M-I-L-L-E-T. Nice. And as always, All oh, right. Uh, Here we go. Chris Murrin is is editing the book, and that's just C H R I S underscore M U R R I N. Chris so, uh, is editing my stuff for like fifteen years now, I think.
1: Nice. Um, uh, who's who's handling the letters? Uh, I am. Oh, sweet! Very cool. We always uh, like to shout out the letters. That's a uh, it's an unsung but vital part, you know, of of every comic. No, you know, I, have-
0: I I agree, and I, I it's weird because. I don't want to undermine people that do it, you know, full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I just, you know, I, I feel like I'm a dilettante letterer, you know? <laughs> um,
1: but you could do it all, man. You're, you're a unicorn. I'm a oh. bad
0: colorist. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, what we're looking at right now is uh, my cover. I penciled and inked and Jason colored it. And yeah, I, I did the graphic design and stuff.
1: Nice. Ah, here we go.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, uh, Don penciled this. We had talked about doing um, a retro cover, and he suggested an homage to Tomb of Dracula number 10, which Uh is the first appearance of Blade the Vampire Slayer. Uh And uh, he sent me some some wonderful pencils, and then I um, tried to do my best Tom Palmer on top of it with the inks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I colored it and did the, the logo and stuff. And uh, uh, I, I've got like an a, already built Photoshop file that has all the, the stuff we need to, to make it look worn and, and weathered. Oh. So I just kind of <laughs> dropped it into my
1: template. Uh, <laughs> nice. It's
0: kind of foolproof. If, if you've got the right weathered page, you can make you know, all this stuff look really cool
1: very cool. I think that looks awesome. I mean, it's it's I was like, wait a minute. Tomb of Dracula? That is so cool. <laughs> well, um
0: okay, we've already discussed what we want to do for the retro cover for issue 2. Oh,
1: and, okay. Uh,
0: so, yeah, I, I it's not like it's a state secret or anything. We uh, we want to do I can't remember remember if it's House of Secrets or House of Mystery that first appearance of the swamp thing with yep. the Bernie Wrightson cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're, we're both really excited about that. So that'll be our, our retro homage on issue two.
1: Cool. So, uh, I mean, and we're looking at more of the, uh, the covers here, but issue two, uh, so, you know, we're, we're gonna, at least, you know, two issues, three issues, how, how many issues do you think, uh, or how many issues do you have planned and, has that plan changed because of the uh, the resounding success of it so far?
0: In my mind, um, I always think of things in terms of if I can get three trades out of this, that's good. Because, um, you know, working with with friends um, and working essentially back end without, without a page rate, um, family comes first and, you know, actual jobs and stuff like that all factor in but um yeah this seems to be going over better than we had hoped so it's it obviously makes it a little more encouraging for us to to spend for don to be able to spend more time on it because the drawing is is the heavy lifting but yeah um the first story arc is four issues long um and i had a rough idea of things i wanted to touch on but don gave uh kind of I always think in terms of character stuff, which is probably weird because I think most artists think visually, um, but I, I know there are certain character beats I wanted to have and Don threw out a perfect setting uh, for the second arc. Um, so yeah, like um, I don't know how long we'll be able to keep up this this naming convention, but uh, the first arc is called They Only Come Out At Night uh, and it's not the title necessarily of a heavy metal album, but there uh, there was an Edgar Winter group album in the 1970s called "They Only Come Out at Night." It's the one that had the the song Frank the instrumental Frankenstein on it. Um, so Arc Number Two does take its name from a from another album. Uh,
2: so Very yeah, cool. Part of the fun
0: <laughs> of of doing these things, you know, you you start to kind of construct all these little Easter eggs, and Don mm-hmm. throws in so many Easter eggs in the art. It just becomes this this fun little thing of trying to see how much we can tie it all together.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is the uh, cover E. It looks like.
0: Yeah, now that that's the uh, one that'll be printed on metallic silver uh, mm-hmm. cardstock, so it'll be all shiny. Nice. I've never shiny. done a metal cover, so I'm I'm crazy excited about this.
1: Well, you know what? I will. Uh, I'll let you know my experience because I've got. Uh, metal covers being printed right now for crossover division four oh, excellent. and i i'm gonna i've never done them either so <laughs> we're gonna find out how it works <laughs> oh and uh sorry I've, I've missed some comments over here uh oh. shawnee said that um she's got to say that your intro video made her laugh so yes <laughs>
0: don did all the, all the humor i'm i'm the uh painfully earnest person and then don is the hilarious
1: one oh and just because now shawnee you know i i love a good pun, so thank you uh she says all the covers look great but this one e struck a chord bravo with me so that's the one i went with
0: <laughs> it was i i loved doing that picture and jason sent back to some gorgeous colors on mm-hmm. it, oh, and I, I need to point out again, you know, talking about all the little things that tie together. Um, mm-hmm. The t shirt, the shirt she's wearing, the the no bozos shirt is a reference to. Um, there were a bunch of promo pictures of of Eddie Van Halen, I think, around the time I like Van Halen too, where he was wearing a a no bozos shirt. So, <laughs> kind of having that on the cover is is a reference to.
1: the original origins yeah yeah (laughs) nice
0: (laughs) i'm like the only person that that probably you know got it but that's okay
1: well now now lots you know more people get it as well (laughs) all right and uh this looks like it's uh oh this is the box set cover okay
0: cool yeah yeah so um we decided uh for the box set to do a separate cover for it and (laughs) Instead of the, it, it's a nod to the Ozzy Osbourne Blizzard of Oz album, and uh, we call it the Blizzard of Evie.
1: Uh, nice. nice. So Yeah.
0: Again, it's goofiness that builds on top of goofiness.
1: You know, it's a shame. It really is a shame that you guys aren't having any fun at all doing this, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's so sad.
0: That, well, but I mean, isn't that, isn't that the fun of working with friends on on oh, yeah. I, I'm stupid lucky, and I know it.
1: I mean, you know it. It is because I I, I just remember scripting uh, the the TART crossover division crossover issue that we're we're still working on. People, it's it's with the artist. Um, oh, there was lo- it, the worst. Yeah, I know, but we loved them so much. <laughs> I'm so. But focused. it was just so. It was just so much fun, you know, I mean, just throwing things back and forth, you know, and, you know. Kevin and I, you know, we keep a really high standard of there is nothing that's too stupid. So, you know, (laughs) maybe that's too low a standard. I don't know, but, but it was just, I mean, it was a lot of fun, you know, trying to, to just, you know, well, what, what, you know, when you're writing for yourself it's like, okay, well, I know what I need to get done. And, you know, maybe I'll surprise myself with like, oh, I didn't, hey, you know, this, that makes a lot of sense. I'll do that now. But with, with, you know, writing for Kevin and him writing for me, it's like, well, okay, I need to do something that's going to impress him or, you know, make him laugh or, you know, or do something. So it's, there's a lot more immediate back and forth that is just a whole lot of fun. And so, I mean, it looks like you guys are just having a blast.
0: Oh, we are. Okay. Can I, can I ask you about, uh, working on the, on the crossover with, Mm -hmm. with Kevin? So how, like, can you walk us through the the process? Like how, how, where does the plot come from? Is it a back and forth? Or did one of you have the initial idea? How do you, how do you deal with writing one another's characters? Or do you just say, this is tart stuff run with it, Kevin. And here's where I need to pick up. How does that work?
1: Well, it was it was strange because I I, probably nobody else does it the way that we do it. But um, uh, we had a really great crossover print with Tart and Hank and Hector fighting uh, this minotaur uh, that that was done by uh, it was colored by Ryan Kroboth and crap. Who did the. uh, I can't remember the artist's name. I'm so sorry. I'll I'll. I'll look it up in a second. Um okay, Mr. But, we
0: love artists.
1: I we do, but no, you know, I'm there's kidding. only so much space up here. I kid because <laughs> I love. But um, you know, we got to looking at that, and, you know, this this could be something that you know we could do, you know. And uh so we kind of came up together with like, you know, hey, here's a here's a Google Doc of kind of the, you know, well, we should probably have this happen and we should probably have this happen and, you know, let's maybe do, you know, something unexpected here. And then what we did is, you know, we basically said, Kevin, he started with the first three or four pages and we write really differently. Uh, His is a lot more free form. I have a pretty standard script format that I religiously, you know, cling to, you know, for my sanity, and so he would do three or four pages and then I would do four pages three or four pages or five and then he would do three or four or five and we just kind of backed and forth and you know he was like you know I think Hank or Hector should say this here or this here and okay cool you know and I was like okay I think you know tart should say this here but we you know we always for for me it was you know one I want the words that I put in tart's mouth, to actually sound like tart right? right. I, I want to try to get her voice. And you know, if Kevin said it was good, then I was like, yes, I did it. You know, <laughs> all right, cool. And <laughs> and you know, and Kevin was like, you know, would they say this? Do they say that? You know, what what do you think? And he would, you know, he was he he really did a great job of, you know, nailing Hank's voice, nailing Hector's voice. And then um, you know, we just went back and forth, and then we had um uh James Powell. Uh, you know, you know, James, Uh, we had him go over it from an editorial standpoint. And then we also had uh, Cassie, you know, Kevin's normal editor, go over his part, you know, go over it as well. So we had two sets of editors going over it. And we smoothed it out, we made changes. And I, to be honest, that, that experience was wonderful. But it also totally convinced me of the power of of Google Docs as a way to just collaborate, right? I mean, I, I'm still hardcore when I'm writing. I've got Microsoft Word open because, oh my God, I've written in that forever, right? But as soon as I get the draft done, I upload it to Google Docs and then, you know, convert it to a Google Doc so that as we're talking about stuff, you know, we can leave all those comments out there, you know, you know, James can say, good God, Will, this is so freaking stupid, you know? <laughs> He only says that 10 or 12 times for issue, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, 22 page issue. You, you got, uh, I'm half, in I'm
1: half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And so, you know, that was, that's you know, from a writer standpoint. So we've got a script now that we've, you know, given to an artist, but how I'm curious how it works for you, because you, so as a writer, I like to think that I have a fairly visual imagination. Right. Yeah. But when we when I give a script to an artist. Without fail, it's going to come back with things that I never considered, never thought of and look much better than anything I could have imagined. So how how does that work for you as an artist? You know you're you are you are you working full script are you doing Marvel method how how, how do you how do you and Don work together
0: um, it's it's the same way that I, I worked with um, Ishmael Canalis on a, a
2: book oh, called the on catch,
1: the catch.
0: Mm-hmm. and um, mark Stegbauer on our, our all ages book Google Scouts um, and uh, I generally um, it's full script but for the action sequences, I'll do. I'll kind of talk about what happens on the first page. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: they turn the corner and there are zombies. And then literally, mm-hmm. you know, the hard return, hard return. That it says um, as many panels as you want. Um, them fighting the zombies, and for like two or three or four pages or whatever, it'll just say more zombie fighting. You know, ah. as many panels as you want and then the the last page of the fight it's yeah it'll be like third to the last second to the last and last panel on the page and there will be descriptions on like just where you need to end up and then we move back to the story um and it's it's weird i part of like leaving uh action sequences open i think came from um when I was first doing samples, I was lucky enough that a friend of mine put me in touch with um, Mark Schultz, uh, oh, the, wow. the writer artist of, of Zenazo Tales. Mark has been um, not just a big influence on me, but uh, I, I consider him a mentor. I don't, I don't think Mark even knows how important he's been <laughs> to my growth, but um, like he sent me a script from uh, a Predator series he, he, uh, he wrote that Gene Colan drew. Called Hell in High Water. And wow. Mark Scripts, like he never talks about staging, he never talks about camera angle. He never talks about any of that. He just says what's necessary. And he said that leaves it open for the artist to stage it in the way that they're most comfortable with. And that stayed with me. And the other thing that I, I think has kind of affected the way that I write stuff like this is when um before before I did comics. I worked as an illustrator, and I did a ton of stuff for tabletop role-playing games. And sometimes you would get the most ridiculous descriptions that are essentially (laughs) like a tracking shot from a film. And you're trying, you're you're spending so much time just trying to get everything in, like a like a contractor's punch list, that by the end of the piece, it's just stale and stagnant because you had this this wish list at least I did. And, um, mm-hmm. in recent years, I found that part of my struggle is, um, I have a condition called aphantasia, which is, uh, I read, I, I realized I had it when I, when I read an interview with, um, uh, Glenn, Glenn Keen, um, Disney animator and director. Uh, so what aphantasia is, is, um, essentially they say my mind's eye is blind. So I, I close my eyes. I can't tell you what my, I mean, I can tell you what my daughter looks like, but I can't see her in my eyes. like when I, when I close my eyes, there's no mental picture. And literally for decades, I thought when people were saying, I just draw what I see in my head, I really thought that was a figure of speech. And I didn't realize that people (laughs) actually see things in their head. Um, And so I think that was part of my struggle with with that kind of script. So I, everything that I wrote, I kind of it, it evolved out of the way that that I like to work. So if you tell me where we start and where we end up, I can stage things in a way that's going to work with the way my brain works. Um, Very so, cool. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have a question for you. When you when you, do you mind? Do you mind if I interview sure.
2: you? Yeah, okay. I so
0: you were saying you have a, a very standard, not standard, but a, like you have a format. I, I have a lot of a format as well. So I wanted to hear what how you do it and just kind of compare notes. Do you mind
1: sharing? Sure. So um, first off, let me preface this with I'm weird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I love this font called Courier Prime. Do you know what I'm what I'm talking about?
0: I don't, but I have a rough <laughs> idea. Is it's the newspaper font, right?
1: Yeah, it's Courier, right? And and um, it's a monospaced font, so you know everything lines up if you space things out. You know, it's not a variable width font. And uh, I long ago I took the uh, comics experience writing class, and one of the things that they talk about is you know well hey here's what some scripts looks like. Here's what um I think it's Paul Allor and. Andy Smith came up with as, hey, this is going to work. So I, I grabbed that and then I modified it a little bit to make it what I like. And then that's, you know, it's it. I tab in for this, I have that, and I just I go. I've got a a, a template that I think I put a hundred pages in just in case I was going to, you know, go to a hundred pages. And then what I do is I copy that template. If I'm if I'm going to twenty four pages, I cut out twenty five through hundred and. You know, change the header, change the the uh the name at the top and then boom, I'm off to the races. Um I it's that font and you know and using Word, uh, it's I feel like it's part of something that my brain needs to get me into that place where I can write. You know, it's just one of the and that's something else. Um I know Kevin. Kevin is is he'll actually write out a script oh, and write sounds- a script. It sounds horrible to me, but he does it. So you know, I, when I talk about writing, I'm I'm doing this. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's that's how I, I've got to have a keyboard. You know, and I, or I can't do it. I've on my iPad here. Um, I've got a keyboard. So that I can you know type and just type, even if I'm just typing in a text file, um, and this that's that's one of the things that is I kind of it's it's both good and bad because ideally what I should do is I should probably have a document where I, I said okay this is issue five, this happens this happens this happens and then start breaking those out into scenes and you know build a script up from that but you know i'm like okay i i feel like i know these characters and i know the plot so i know i'm also kind of a structure geek it's i i feel like if you don't have structure then you know you it's it's hard to know it's hard to get somewhere if you don't know how you're going to get there, right? right. <laughs> so that structure, you know, provides that. And I'm, I'm kind of in awe a little bit of, of uh, Charlie Stickney because, you know, you look at the first issue of White Ash, you know, I'll just do 48 pages for a first issue, whatever. Uh, the next one will just make it 52 or I'm like, uh-uh, I, I need, I need my structure. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> So I mean that's you know it's basically and one of the things that I learned because uh, when I did the when I did the uh, the, for, the four issues of Diary of Night uh, I worked with a really great artist Gene Gonzalez and he was very patient with me because. I was calling shots, right? I, I, I thought that's what I was supposed to do, right? I, I didn't didn't know. Um, after taking that class at Comics Experience, it really made me rethink that, okay, look, all the artist needs are the basics. You know, here are the characters. Here's their state of mind. Here's the, you know, the environment done. You know, let, let them, because while I might have an average or a little bit better than average you know visual sense you know artists to borrow a really great metaphor turn that up to 11 right
0: (laughs) (laughs) you can always quote spinal tap with me
1: yeah (laughs) nice (laughs) so there's something I think really Comforting about, you know, I know what the font is. I know the application—it's Word. I've got my keyboard, and I know I have time to then do the things that I that I need to do. So that's that—that's kind of you know—it it helps me get into that space, I guess.
0: No, that's how cool. about um, oh what? How about you? Um, well, it's funny because again, maybe it's my graphic design background as well. Um, but when you when you mentioned like having having the comfort of the the page the page template and Mm -hmm. font. yeah um i think gosh it's it's been over 10 years at least um fred van lente had had posted um a uh like his his template for Mm -hmm. free, free to use and i downloaded it and yeah you know all my scripts are in verdana (laughs) <laughs> and I, I use the the Fred Van Lente um, uh, template, and then um, generally, I tend to um, when I when I'm breaking the issue, I tend to just write what happens on that page. Page one, mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. Page two, blah 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 blah. And I I scroll through and have a 22 page document with like one sentence on each page, and then I just mm-hmm. flesh it out. And I generally tend um, opening sequences are always three, five or seven pages long. So it ends on a spread mm-hmm. and same with closing sequences. So I, I always think in terms of the spread and I don't know if that's like graphic design background or thinking in terms of the spread followed by the page turn. So there's mm-hmm. always a reveal on the, on the left-hand side, but yeah. I'm, I hate to, I I know that sounds really formulaic and I hope, I hope it doesn't come off as, you know, contrived, but it's really comforting to me to, to kind of have that rhythm in place. And I, I can generally look and go, yeah, this should take two pages. This should take four or, you know, whatever.
1: Well, you know, and that's, that's interesting because I was, I can't remember, I was reading something about like Joss Whedon's, uh, you know, it, it was it astonishing X-Men, whatever he was working on, you know, at Marvel. And you could see how he took, you know, the episodic structure of TV, you know, you have the three minute intro and then the, the right. commercial bump and, then, and just really kind of transferred that into his comic scripts. Cause you'd have these, you know, you'd have the same, the same structure, you know, right. um, <laughs> so, uh, That's interesting. That's really very interesting. Um, So, you know, you've talked about Mark Schultz. uh, You've you've talked about, you know, Athena Voltaire. uh, You talked about The Catch. We've got Evie. Um, Is there anything else you're working on right now or, you know, stuff that you want to go back to potentially? I mean, you know, The the Catch was a lot of fun. That's a great book. And of course, I love Athena Voltaire.
0: Um, well, Mark and I have a, a completed issue of Google Scouts uh, mm-hmm. in the can. And, you know, Google Scouts was also published by Action Labs, So that's on hold until yeah. <laughs> we figure out how the lawsuit's going. But um, Mark is such a monster cartoonist. He's great mm-hmm. at capturing kids and expressiveness and motion. But he was talking about one, wanting to try something that's that's not all ages. So Mm -hmm. we're bouncing uh, an idea back and forth for that, that I really hope we can, uh, you know, get going sometime in the next year. I have um, a pitch in place for, um, well, it was written with uh, the publisher Quirk Books in mind, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in terms of uh, like book trade type publishers. Mm -hmm. But right now, their their unsolicited uh, submission <laughs> box is currently closed, and oh, I, I looked at the way that the the pitch is formatted, and I need two more pages of artwork, um, ah. <laughs> and I'm I, I don't want to say too much. I'll I'll send I'll send it to you if you're interested. But um, okay, cool. I'm pretty pleased with with how it works out, and I'm sharing art with a couple of friends of mine, and it just turns out that the two pages we need are. Uh, part of, uh, one of my friends work. So he just needs to, Uh, to ink some stuff, but yeah, I mean, I, I would love to do, um, something that, you know, for the, for the book trade like that. And then, um, I'm going to be drawing a short story, uh, with writer Alex Segura. Um, Oh, okay. I'm really excited about that. He's, he sent me details on it and I've been playing around with character designs and stuff. um, I have no idea when it's coming, and so I don't want to announce publisher or anything. But I've al- I've also already talked with the publisher, and everybody seems really cool. So I'm, I'm psyched awesome. about that. And that's Very cool. yeah, again that that's me just being the artist, not being a writer or a writer <laughs> artist. And it's fun to flex those. Just
1: the, the artist. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's it, it, it is fun to kind of flex those muscles. And I mean, Alex is such a great writer. Um, I've been. Uh, enjoying his Pete Fernandez uh, mystery mm-hmm. series. And then he's got, I haven't gotten to his, um, I don't know. I can't, I don't know the, the lead character's name, but the book is Secret Identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it combines his love of 1970s New York and the comic book industry and, mm-hmm. you know, noir mystery. So um, yeah, working with somebody like that is just a tremendous learning experience too. And he was kind enough for me to, you know, bring in one of my safety blankets. So uh, Jason Malay will be coloring that too. Very it's cool. really helpful. Like if I if I can like work with friends, even when I'm working <laughs> with someone new, just because it's like okay, okay, if I really screw up this artwork, you know, <laughs> Jason will 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 cover it for
1: me. So so for that, will you be doing pencils and inks? Yeah, yeah. How, I mean, I mean, you've you've talked about you know, Jason coloring your work. Have you have you worked with someone, you know, inking your pencils or have you inked somebody else's pencils? I mean, how does how does that work, you know, from from kind of your viewpoint as an artist? I mean, I know how it kind of works because with us, because my artists typically do both the pencils and the inks. So,
0: um, yeah, like uh, I did a variant cover for for Google Scouts that I penciled marked Mark inked. And then, uh, like the retro variant on Eevee, Don penciled that, and I inked it. Mm -hmm. Um, We're doing a a crossover uh, print for um, a campaign that hasn't launched yet, so I can't say what it is, I don't think. (laughs) But um, Don did a really rough layout, and I'm doing finishes on it. So it's a little more than just inking. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I really like collaborative stuff, but I also know – like penciling wise, I'm I'm so idiosyncratic in terms of uh, you know using reference and just trying to mm-hmm. get this stuff solved that by the time I get it solved, I might as well ink it just because you know <laughs> there's so much going on. And I, you know, kind of like the, the inking is is the dessert phase. So ah. it's hard for me to give that one up because I'm like, well, I, I labored through all the pencils, I've solved the problems. Now I just want to have some fun and, and get my Al Williamson on and you know
1: Gotcha. <laughs> so. very nice. Um well oh, oh did we did we make it through the covers? I I don't know. Um,
0: uh, yeah, like the the one we just went by was the uh-huh. it's exclusive to the uh Blizzard of uh of Evie box set. So that that only shows up in that box set. Yep. Um yeah, that one. And then uh, we've got a mystery box
2: mm-hmm.
0: that has the the regular comic, a six by nine drawing by, Mar, uh, by Don, uh, a six by nine drawing by me, um, cool. a Don comic, a me comic, and a me graphic novel all thrown into.
1: Nice, so very nice. Mystery,
0: so you don't know which they are.
1: <laughs> well, and and speaking of, you know other work by you uh do you have those available as add-ons you know i know you've got you know multiple volumes of athena voltaire right
0: yeah that's something that i didn't put on on the campaign page just because um it gets a little weird with like the the action lab books um if i were to buy them from action lab they would cost uh 50 percent of cover but they have to ship through diamond because action lab doesn't have a warehouse. So I would uh, have to pay all the diamond fees for them to pack it. And diamond only ships FedEx. And so by the time I, I would get the books from action lab for a $15 trade, I'm, I'm in it for 10 to 12 bucks. So wow. I, I did buy books through uh, a retailer, but even then, um, you know, they had to be shipped to the retailer and I had to drive to pick them up so i'm kind of holding on to some of that back stock just because i didn't want to have deceptive numbers on our campaign oh look you know we Mm -hmm. (laughs) we have two thousand dollars worth of of athena voltaire sales Mm -hmm. and the campaign only gets to keep a thousand of it and i deplete my stock so it's it's so goofy with with how some of this stuff works because I don't know. We I, I need to talk to Don about how we're going to do backer kit because maybe that's that's part of a solution or maybe we just kind of go ev centric here because
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's just yeah it's it's frustrating to to not own the copies of your, of your book and that's one of the one of the really cool things about um, crowdfunding is is yeah. having that whole back stock that back catalog mm-hmm. available.
1: Well, and that's you know. I think that's an interesting. You've had success in, you know, working with a publisher, um, and you know, you've also had success, you know, on Kickstarter, and those are two at this point wildly divergent audiences, right? You know, I mean, there's the Wednesday Warriors in the direct market, and then there's you know, crowd crowdfunding, right? And speaking as someone who hasn't really, you know, got into the direct market, you know, I, I sometimes feel like, well, it is a God awful amount of work for a really small reward because, you know, when you get right down to it, running a comic shop is hard, you know, and and I get that. And there are not a whole lot of comic shops that will take, risk and you know from their standpoint it is risk on you know supporting you know various indie comics and and, you know and i completely understand that so from from my point of view it makes more sense you know to kind of go all in with the the crowdfunding and kickstarter because that lets me get the thing made right you know i can hold the, the thing in my hands and it's made uh and then worry about, okay, well, maybe this can be, you know, maybe it'll be a trade. Maybe it'll be a hardcover. Maybe we can get it into the direct market. Maybe we can get it into the book trade, you know, other things. But getting it made first is kind of where I come from as, you know, someone not really in, you know, uh, in previews, essentially. You know, how, how you know, kind of what's, what's your opinion? Because you see it from both sides. You've been in both places.
0: Well, you're you're absolutely right. It's it's hard to be a comics retailer because they're buying books sight unseen that are non-returnable, mm-hmm. um, and so as a creator selling to the direct market, that's great because they're non-returnable. That sale is actually a sale, mm-hmm. um, and that's the scary part about getting into the book trade. You know, I've I've heard horror mm-hmm. stories about. Publishers that get sunk because two years after they've cast the check, they get a whole pallet full of returns and the returns are beaten up and suddenly, you know, they have to refund the money. So (laughs) that's pretty dangerous too um, as as a publisher. Um, And yeah, with, with the direct market as a creator, the most you can do is provide someone with a preview and you have to hope that they have the time to look at that preview. And if they look at that pre, if they have the time to look at that preview, then they have to not be completely exhausted because they're probably working a 70 hour week. They have to, (laughs) you know, have the, the non-exhaustion mental capacity to say, Oh, Bill and Sally and, and Joanne would all like this book. And Mm -hmm. write it down. And then, you know, how much worth their time is selling, you know, three books to Bill and Joe and Sally or whatever names I threw out, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're buying uh, that $3.99 book for 50% of cover. So that's a lot of work for them to make $4.50, assuming they're not offering discounts to, to (laughs) to their, you know, uh, mm-hmm. audience. So yeah, that's a lot to ask somebody, you know, because again, they're small businesses. They, they generally are not staffed uh, well enough to where the owner is like, you know, going to run off to Bermuda or whatever for, you know, <laughs> a vacation every, every month or something. It's, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of overtime. And you're asking a lot of them, mm-hmm. you're asking them to do a lot of reading and figuring out who will buy this book for not much of a margin for them. Um mm-hmm. and so yeah, like having said that, um I have had the the stupidest career in comics because <laughs> well no okay so I tried to break it uh getting freelance art, did not get any, and then um I tried to pitch a creator owned book, Athena Voltaire, uh huh. with not much interest. And then uh, a friend of mine pointed me to a website, moderntales.com was starting a spinoff called Adventure Strips. And Athena was a perfect fit for that. So we did uh, the Athena web strip mm-hmm. um, for a couple of years and I got nominated for an Eisner Award for that strip. Uh, well, nice. it was not nominated, not me, mm-hmm. but it, got nominated for an Eisner, and this is great. We didn't win, but that's okay. But immediately, my thought was, great, now I can find a comic publisher. So I abandoned (laughs) comics (laughs) to get validation in the direct market. And, you know, the book was briefly at Speakeasy before they went out of business. And then it was at Ape Entertainment. And then um, uh, I landed with um, a place called Sequential Pulp, who had an imprint at Dark Horse. And during this time, I decided I I wanted to remaster the first volume for the compendium. But I also did uh, a Kickstarter for an Athena story. Uh, Mm -hmm. At the time that I did the Kickstarter, it was still 2010. I think, like, I did the math. And I think Kickstarter had been around for, like, nine months. And we we exceeded our funding goal, made over ten grand, and I promptly abandoned Kickstarter to take the book to Dark Horse. Where, you know, and and again, if if in some ways, those of us that you know have gone through the Diamond catalog so many times, it's like, oh, I get to be in the front of the catalog. This will be my my you know make it or break it. Uh, type of thing but the the reality is you know dark horse as a company has a has a staff that they have to support and Mm -hmm. at the time they were still doing the buffy books uh and the mignola books and they were do uh the same month that athena voltaire came out they did fight club two also oh so if you are a responsible publisher with a staff of what 30 40 60 people i don't know Mm -hmm. Um, where are you going to put most of your marketing muscle? It's not going to be this dumb little 1930s pulp <laughs> adventure. It's going to be Fight Club too, or the, the, the Whedon verse, or the Mignola verse. And so, you know, we it was it it didn't do poorly. It didn't do great in sales. And then um, uh, Michael Hudson, uh, who was the guy that ran Sequential Pulp. Um, it's it's really weird. He wrote me and said, "Well, I'm I'm having some health issues, and I'm going to check into the hospital." And within two weeks, he he had died um, um, from, from cancer. So the you know the imprint went away. So I'm making all these jokes prior to this, but this is the the really sh- horrible
2: mm-hmm.
0: thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, in light of losing your life, you know, having to look for another publisher is not a big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, just I think the the really big thing now that I've brought the whole room down. Um, <laughs> but, no, I just I, I feel like I, I rounded to a stop, and I'm like, oh god, no, you're like, you're like, story of a bad career. Um, but uh, like the the lesson that I've kind of learned looking at all of this has been that. The pull of the direct market is really strong because in a lot of our, our minds, um, there's a legitimacy you get by ha- seeing your book in a comic yep. shop.
2: Yep. But,
0: you know, it's, it's hard for the comic shop to make a lot of money on independent comics. It's hard mm-hmm. for creators to make a lot of money on independent comics in comic shops. And none of these things are the fault of, the shops or the readers or the creators. It's just, you know, a reality. And, you know, for me, I, I'm leaning heavier towards wanting to do more crowdfunding. I just wish I could find a way to be able to do more conventions. And that's one of those things where it's like, you know, I wish I had this group of people that all, you know, wanted to do a summer tour, so to speak. Yeah. but. I try to get my friends on board but you know a lot of them <laughs> don't have the time and you know I'm I'm lucky now because I've got a new job where I'm I'm teaching at a university so I have the summer off so if I can find a way to get the convention part to increase crowdfunding gets even better
1: so, Mhm nice very so nice
0: I, I just ramble you 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 need to reel me in you know
1: No this is awesome <laughs> I mean yeah. it's one of the things that I because I, I know my approach and, you know, my experiences. So it's, it's great hearing yours as, you know, both a writer and an artist and someone who's had, you know, a foot in, you know, crowdfunding and a foot in, you know, the direct market and another foot probably in other places. And I don't know how that's going to go over as a metaphor, (laughs) but we'll just go with it. Okay. (laughs) Three feet. (laughs) Three feet. (laughs) Um, so, uh, well, let's, let's jump back into Evie and, and the Hellsinks. I, you know, I, I have to say I'm a little annoyed with you, Steve. Okay. Every, t- every time I say the title, I want to say Evie and the Vaughn And It's oh. just my brain. It's just my brain. It's not you. It's just my brain. So. <laughs>
0: And again, Don's the one that suggested the gender swap and actually came up with the new name because, uh-huh. you know, again, my original idea was just calling it Van Helsing with the Van Halen logo.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So Don came up with a much more clever name than I did.
1: Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it works. It's it's an awesome looking book. But uh, let's let's go over the rewards. So this is you know the first issue, right? So yeah. um, it looks like you have digital. Yes. Okay, excellent. And how, how many pages is this first issue?
0: Uh, 22 pages of story. And then um, I think we have, uh, I think, six pages of back matter. Um, we'll have the preview of the issue two cover. And um, two pages of everyone who backs it listed as the, the road crew. So
2: <laughs> nice. um, I,
0: I, I think it's uh, 22 pages of story, but like 30 pages of content.
1: So we get to be roadies nice
0: well i mean you know you you have a high enough pledge maybe you're a guitar tech i don't
1: know (laughs) or you know the unnoticed presence that was i always loved that um that award you got playing, you know, guitar hero for playing the bass, you know, the unnoticed presence. I just, I love that.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, I never played guitar hero, but I am a recovering bass player. So I, oh. <laughs> I think I'm offended by this game.
1: <laughs> it, uh, it was, uh, I mean, I can't play an instrument to save my life, but it, you know, it was fun pretending that I could almost play because, you know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know.
0: I, I, I think Getty Lee and Chris Squire would like to have a word. Um, <laughs> so yeah, oh. anyway, 30 pages of, of stuff and, uh, cardstock cover.
1: Nice. And then, uh, we've got, you know, cover a here. Yes. We've got cover B. And then we've got, you know, the retro cover C cover D and yeah, then
0: that's my, that's my nod to Tim Bradstreet on, on that one. I, I did kind of the oh. duo shade type of look mm-hmm. on it um tim was the the main artist on uh vampire the masquerade when white wolf game studio launched that back in 1990 and tim's a friend again he's he's one of my my three mentors so it was kind of nice to just do that as as a love letter hit to his work
1: oh very cool very cool. And Tim did work on, uh, did, did he do Hawkman or Hawkworld?
0: Oh, he, uh, he. Um, I don't know if he inked Truman on that. Tim Truman did the majority of that. I That's think right. he, had, yep. he did a little work. He inked uh, Truman on Dragon Chang from okay. Eclipse. And then Tim had a lot of, co- uh, a run of covers on uh, the Garth Ennis Punisher
2: run oh, okay.
0: and um, Hellblazer at dc Ah,
1: gotcha okay so yeah
0: he's amazing
1: all right and then guitar picks very cool (laughs) (laughs) and then we've got the nice metallic cover e right
0: yes i wish there was a way to show off that it that that it was metal on there but
1: yeah it's just metal right (laughs) now All right. So, you know, as, you know, as, uh, you know, as as one of the creators of the book, is there a, Hey, there's a picture of blade. Uh, is, is there, is there one particular, um, pledge level that, you know, you're like, that's pretty darn cool. You know, I think most people would like this or, you know, is there one that kind of stands out in your mind that you're like, I, or, you know, one that, that darn Don, I had to, you know, wrestle him to put this one in or, you know, something like that.
0: <laughs> well, I, th- I think the weirdest thing for me is just, I don't think Don or I were either expecting to sell so many of the, the Blizzard of Eevee box set. Um, you know, in the, in the past, I think I've sold like 10 box sets for, for the Athena Voltaire stuff and maybe seven for the catch you know, maybe three or four mystery boxes, but I think we we've sold like over 20 of the, the wow. blizzard set. And again, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if like the Kickstarter audience is getting um just more, uh I, I don't want to say conditioned, but they're, they're, they're looking because more people are doing box sets. Um mm-hmm. You know, they're, that's becoming a, a bigger thing for people to buy. Um, I think we all ripped off Tyler James on, on the box set. Cause I, mm-hmm. I think comics, uh comics tribe did it for, was it Wailing Blade? The, I, think, I think in my mind, that's the, that's the first comic that did mm-hmm. a, a box set. I could be wrong.
1: But, oh yeah. I, uh if it weren't for Tyler, I, you know, there would be no, no, uh, Collected Diary, no crossover division. I mean, yeah, the the man is he casts a very long shadow.
0: Yes, <laughs> and very wise with it. But yeah, yes. so you know, to your question, yeah, the uh, the box set has been the really the probably the biggest surprise for me. Just because, you know, this is this is a, a series that no one's familiar with, but we have people that are excited by the idea and are you know, going all in. So we just have to make sure we we don't screw up the book.
1: (laughs) I I think it's in good hands. I really do. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So tell you what, I'm going to flip this. I'm going to stop sharing that. uh, And I'm going to put the link back on the screen here. I can figure out how to do that.
0: See, I get weirded out. I see myself Uh, on the, oh, there it is. I see myself on screen. And I'm looking at us on the screen instead of looking up at my camera.
1: That's so. what I do too. Yeah, I
0: always, I always feel like I look cross-eyed <laughs> or something when I'm looking down here. So, well,
1: you mentioned that you're you're teaching. Yes. Um, are you teaching comics, sequential art? I mean, what is that? Some I, yeah, one of the things. I
0: am. Um, awesome. No tit for tat a quid pro quo uh clarice sorry i stumbled <laughs> over that Now you you uh, you've been teaching longer than i have what what do you teach and then i'll i'll continue
1: well i uh so uh, from about 2011 to probably 2018 i was an english professor uh, i've kind of stepped back just because day job plus night job plus comics was <laughs> too much <Understand. laughs> so so i've pulled back from teaching for now although to be honest i miss it i really do it's it's so much it's it's invigorating uh, it's exhausting uh but it's so much fun you know to just teach so uh basically it was a uh you know this is your english 101 class for you know a junior college but the suckers suckers let me teach a comics class once every other semester or so (laughs) and it was it was awesome uh but it it was uh, really
0: quickly i bet uh
1: you know it it was pretty small so you know we only had like eight nine ten students you know it made so you know but it wasn't you know a packed house mainly because you know it was an english class at a junior college Right, right so but it was great because I took, of course, I I did. I took a, a kind of a writer-centric approach, you know, and and we talked about you know work by Alan Moore, by Neil Gaiman, um, because I am a, a fanboy. We also talked about Walter Simonson's Thor, you know, because hey, I got to choose, so I chose. So, well, I <laughs> but it was it was a lot of fun because. You know, for the a lot of the students, it was the first time that they were coming to comics. And you know, we went we went through understanding comics. You know, understanding comics is just I mean, it's such a powerful work, you know, because you had you had McLeod as a working cartoonist talking about, hey, these are the tools that I use. This is why I think these tools work. Uh, you know, there's the the chapter "Blood in the Gutter." And, yeah. You know, that just blow, uh, you know, which is great because you know you have the gutter and the everything. But it's just great because you know it it really kind of distills a, a couple of things about comics that that I think are just amazing. One is that unlike you know movies and animation or tv comics are not just this experiential thing that you just sit there and you know it happens to you right comics are these this this weird bastard child of graphic design and art and and writing and all of these things coming together but it doesn't actually come together until a reader Actually processes it and makes it happen. You know, in that in that example, you know, you've got the the panel with the woman, you know, and and a knife coming woman at you're her. About... and then in the next panel, you know, there's a scream from a you know a distant shot, you know, and and the the point is, you know, as the writer or as the artist, you know, we didn't kill that lady, you as the reader did, you know, because you connected, you made that a sequence of a, a you know to you know
0: yeah, it's it's the closure of it where yeah. where yeah I, I think he he says the reader is complicit and yeah, yeah. that that's so cool <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to to uh, step on your the,
1: and then the the other thing about it is um you know that that comics are are so and you know this goes back even to eisner and comics and sequential you know uh comics yeah, and sequential comics. art yeah it's so efficient as a storytelling medium right i mean you're getting all of that information you know it, this, this could be you know 10 pages of prose or it could be two panels of a comic right you know i mean you can it's such an efficient medium i mean and that's one of the reasons that eisner you know worked for the army you know with the joe dope stuff right. you know so he's just this is how you do something show not tell <laughs> and this is how you don't do it right you know because i think that was what what the thing did but i mean comics are just so powerful and you know it's for me it's i, I the medium grabbed hold and has never let me go i i just there's don't get me wrong, you know, I like movies, I like video games, I like all the the geek stuff, but but there's a power in comics that, that isn't anywhere else, and it's just, it's awesome, you know?
0: No, I I agree 100%, and mm-hmm. it's funny, because yeah, last semester, um, I got to teach comics and sequential art, and I use oh <laughs> uh, understanding comics, and then I also it was kind of weird because I, I realized early on that so many um, art students aren't really taught. Like there, there's so much, a lot of art schools don't do much in the way of demystifying the process. Uh. So many um, young artists feel like they have to, um, form themselves out of out of whole cloth Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: I realized as I as I'm setting up the the lectures that I think like before I even started on the McLeod stuff the introductory lecture dealt with emulation and looking at various artists and their and their process and their progress um as as they're incorporating other styles because you know, you can, you can look at the growth of a lot of artists. Um, I feel like you could cut Butch Geis in, you know, in half like a tree and count the rings. And, you, you know, you can go <laughs> like working outward. Oh, there's John Buscema and there's Gene Colan and there's Jim Steranko. And uh-huh. there's Milton Kniff and Joe Kubert. And by the time you get to the end, and I'm, I'm not saying any of those influences uh, diminish butch Geist's mm-hmm. work i just think it's fascinating to to see them incorporated in there or you know you you look at the progress of uh uh ryan sook where he was doing those yeah. buffy verse things and he was very mignola like and then oh, yeah. you start to see kind of a uh frank cho or adam Hughes influence coming in oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, maybe a little mm-hmm. j.h williams the third and stuff like that and just showing them that you don't have to create a style out of thin air and also just because you have something that you determine as your style does not mean that that you can't expand on it further and you should always be you know putting more things in the hopper um and you know it it, it the whole lecture took kind of like a side quest talking about <laughs> you know the the tradition in in academic art of doing master studies and stuff like that where I think to this day the louvre and other museums will open themselves for like one day a month for students to just come in with an easel or a sketchbook or whatever wow, that's and that's cool. do, do master studies and i i think so much of that's been lost in um, american art education uh just because the pursuit of um you know like started with the impressionist to the post-impressionist and into the abstract expressionist where um there There's this pursuit of concept and pure form and foregoing uh, a, a narrative uh, component to it entirely. And I know I, I realize I, I just you know scored a hundred on the pretentious meter for that. but <laughs> you know I just kind of breaking them down and saying, you know, here's a video of Neil Adams telling you to trace. <laughs> um and I, I feel like that that that's a good course correction and then you know then we we dove into the mcleod book and and we uh-huh. broke it down um a lot more lectures than i than i was anticipating but yeah getting through the majority of the mcleod book and again mm-hmm. there were so many things where it was like you should read this on your own if you're interested in pursuing comics because when when he's uh, laying it out as mm-hmm. you know a pyramid and the intersection of all these oh yeah
2: yeah <laughs>
0: I, I was like I think this is too heady for them at the at this stage so <laughs> I kind of glossed over some of that um and then yeah after after that we we talked a little bit about uh you know establishing shots and stuff like that mm-hmm. and they started uh the class I, I gave them just a very simple one page script that um had no staging directions, mostly dialogue. And you could read it as a breakup or you could read it as, um, you know, pirates pushing someone overboard, you know, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, or a mob hit. And there yeah. were really interesting interpretations on how they could bend it. And that, that kind of launched us in. And then we did uh, a two-page story and a second two-page story, and we ended with a, a six-pager. And nice. it was really fun to just watch everyone kind of grow with this. Um,
1: well, that's that's really really cool. Did um, you know? Kind of jumping back, I'm first off, I'm just as pretentious because. I, <laughs> so my my wife uh, is is a graphic designer by day. That's that's her day job, and her her degree uh, is in art, but was, is in photography so one of the things that she kind of bumped into that i'm wondering if if you've experienced is is the fine art versus commercial art there is no in between you're one or the other right (laughs) well
0: okay so i only started teaching recently because i only went back to school recently um, I graduated high school in 1983, so old. Um, and uh, okay, and when I when I um, graduated, you know, talking to college recruiters and stuff like that, um, I would say the kind of art that I wanted to do, um, you know, which was comics and uh, you know, fantasy illustration, science fiction illustration. And the response was always, "Oh, that's commercial art. You want to, you want to major in graphic design." And I took a graphic design course at the community college where I was, you know, doing mm. my first two years. And again, this is 1984, 1985. It's pre-desktop publishing, so the entire class is paced up with a waxer and a T-square and oh, wow. cutting ruby lith and amber lith. And I said, okay, I'll finish up my, uh, you know, fine art under, uh, not even undergrad, my fine art uh, associates. And I'm just going to try to build a portfolio because (laughs) yeah, just that, that whole level of, no, if you want to, if you want to be in the fine art program, you can't, you know, draw spaceships or, or (laughs) dudes with swords or whatever. And, because again, it's that it's that pretentious um whole quest for form and stuff like that. And you would hear, you know, even back then professors, you know, describing illustration as cheesy or, or corny or trite. And see, that's
1: that that goes back thousands of years. That's
0: uh,
1: that's the finest of fine art, you know? Right? And, and I,
0: well, yeah, I mean, um, It's funny because I wish I could take credit for this, but I read this on uh, James Gurney's blog. James Gurney, of course, is the the writer artist that gave us the Dinotopia series. He was also an illustrator for uh, National Geographic and stuff like that. But he pointed to, um, I'm blanking on the guy's name now. He was a professor. uh, Last name was Nolan. He was a professor at uh, the Hartford Art School. And his whole contention was that um, if you really look at the art that people, normal people looked at, uh, he didn't use the word gatekeepers, but I I think that fine art is largely uh, the product of privilege and gatekeeping. Um, But if you looked at the art that like, in Nolan's words, real people liked, um, it was comics and animation and illustration. And that just because, um, well, that, that people used to get their their art fix from going to the salon or going to the museum. But um, the, the whole technological inno- innovations of like printing and stuff like that brought all this stuff into people's homes. And so he kind of reimagined art history uh, with the forefront of these, these narrative mediums. Because you know narrative art, you know, although it, it, back to Van Eyck and David and stuff like that, and it was only the the art for art's sake movement that got that that pushed narrative art away. But Nolan's whole uh, instructional model puts narrative art at the forefront, and that like modern art still has an important role, but it's largely uh, that of like an, an agent provocateur. And I I yeah. think that's pretty accurate. And if you if you look at, um, if you if you consider that art has a responsibility to um, introduce cultural change, I I think if if you look at uh, you know the popular arts as San Diego Comic Con calls them, the popular yeah. arts, <laughs> um, that's where you see more cultural change, and if 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 you look at gallery art you know you get the only times that you actually hear about gallery art is um manufactured outrage over like the maplethorpe exhibit or the piss christ um piece and and they never talk about like uh you you know what the piss christ piece was right yeah okay so you know crucifix in urine of course, the, the, all the outrage newspaper articles talked about it in terms of it being sacrilegious, but it was not a comment on Christ. It was a comment on the commercialization of Christianity. And again, mm-hmm. they missed that point because they just want to sell the outrage. So exactly. yeah. <laughs> if if you want to look at stuff that actually has like a societal effect, um, and I'm back on the pretentious wagon, join me. Uh, but like stuff that actually has- I'm a. Done.
2: <laughs> a, a
0: cultural effect. Look at mainstream movies. Look at look at Crazy Rich Asians or uh, mm-hmm. Black Panther or TV shows like uh, Reservation Dogs, where we're we're seeing the importance of of representation on on all of these mm-hmm.
2: these,
0: these things. Or um, shit, something as innocuous as sitcoms. And I'm not saying these two are entirely tied, but. Uh, because uh, correlation does not prove causation. Mm -hmm. But um, if you look at the number of Americans that supported uh, marriage equality or gay marriage prior to the debut of the TV show Modern Family versus the perception by the time that show went off the air, I think you could make a pretty strong case that just showing Mm -hmm. people as people did more than I, I'll go back to the Maplethorpe uh, photo mm-hmm. as as an example because one induced outrage and one actually contributed to provoking a societal change. Thank you for coming to my TED talk.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> and you know, I, I, no, I mean, I that I think that was that, I mean that's fascinating because I so. My, my wife has an art degree and I, I, I love to just talk about art with her. One of the um, one of the discussions we have a lot is and, and I'm usually on the losing side of the argument because my daughter-in-law is an art teacher you know at, uh, in grade school so and middle school. but uh, you know we're like I'm like, okay well, you know a sunset is not art. A picture of a sunset can be art. A picture, a a painting of a sunset can be art, but a sunset itself is not art because art requires human. And I've since amended that because you know we've seen some apes paint and I think some dogs paint at this point. But that's that's edge. Um, you know, and and we'll we'll talk about you know well why is this art? And one of the things that I'm going to pull back from the pretentiousness a little bit is a lot of modern art to me feels more like performance art than actual art because in my mind art art can't really be an accident it, there has to be intent and i and i feel like there has to be skill right you have to it's not something that okay if i can do it it's not art all right <laughs> because i Well yeah <laughs> so uh, that's that's kind of you know we have kind of those discussions and and uh, okay funny story um uh jackson pollock right for the longest time i have i've have been like the dude splattered paint on <laughs> canvas this is this is stupid but i saw uh, we were watching a bunch of uh, art documentaries that led into a bunch of nazi documentaries because they stole so much art. It was really wild. Uh, well, lots of World War <laughs> II documentaries. Yeah, it was, it was really how we kind of got into that, that setup. But somehow we got on to, to Pollock and um, it finally clicked with me why he was important because his paintings are human produced uh, fractals almost because you can't tell if you're up close if you're far away because they look the same and, and right. he was doing this drunk or not drunk. I don't know, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, it, it finally made me appreciate the, the the forethought and the skill that went into doing the thing that he was doing versus, you know, me not understanding it. So, you know, I think understanding is, um, uh, uh, Kevin has a, <laughs> <laughs> go get some rest Kevin we love you man <laughs> um, so I mean that's uh, you know I I love art and I love talking about art um, one of one of my dreams uh, is to you know eventually so let me back this up a second my wife got to spend a month in Florence for her undergraduate degree. She did a study abroad for a month. I'm not bitter about <laughs> it or anything. Uh, <laughs> and then my son spent two weeks uh, in near Pompeii and around Italy as part of the study abroad that they, they, they did. Who has not been to Italy? I have not been to Italy <laughs> and I desperately wanna go because, you know, it's this birthplace of, you know, this Western, I for lack of a better term, ideal of art and literature and math and science and all of these things that are ultimately really important to me, and I, I want to see it, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so, I mean, we we talk a lot about art and. And I usually try to bring comics into it because you know I'm I'm a geek, Um, and it's made me kind of question a lot of, you know, because they'll ask questions of me, and I'm like, well, is that just my bias, or why why do I feel that way? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna admit this, and people are gonna throw uh, throw things at me. I have an intellectual understanding of the importance. Of Jack Kirby but I don't get Kirby okay I mean you know at my core I I I came along I think too late because the Kirby that I was exposed to was later Kirby like on superpowers where it's yeah it's it still has his energy but it's from my biased eye it's the art is almost ugly right? You know, it's, it's so stylized that it's, it's no longer, you know, and I've read, you know, the early Fantastic Fours and there's, you know, great stuff going on there, but again, it's not, you know, I, I don't deny Kirby's importance. It's just, I don't get him, you know, and and there are lots of, there are artists that, you know, I do get and I don't get That's kind of the the big one, at least to me is, you know, how art can be so subjective that, you know, hey, I miss Pollock or I or I, or I don't think Kirby, you know, I, I, I don't get Kirby, you know. So, I mean, it's, I, I mean, how, well, you know, we talked about, you know, your, your influences uh, and, and I love that tree uh, metaphor, you know, because you look at someone like Frank Miller, right? started out on daredevil with a very marvel house style right
0: yeah i mean i i look at that early stuff and um you know i i see gil kane i see Mm -hmm. um like the bridgman anatomy books i know he said neil was a big influence on him but i don't see it as much in that work and it might just be you know you had kind of the bridge of Klaus Janssen, who who had been inking Bob Brown
2: before,
0: mm-hmm. you know, Frank came on. I don't know, but yeah, I didn't see as much Neil on there.
1: Well, and then you you see how he goes, you know, as Daredevil. You know, first off, as you know, the writer leaves Daredevil, and he takes over writing, and he's you know drawing it and you know he's bringing in all that noir and then also a lot of the influences you know from japan at that point you know, because this would have been early 80s right uh well late 70s early 80s and then i i am still 1986 is like
2: <laughs>
1: this this nuclear detonation year for comics right because so much was going on you know you have you have dark knight you have watchmen you have you know all of these things that we still talk about but you look at his work on dark knight and you know it's it's changed pretty radically i mean you could you could also look at ronan you know yeah that's the one that i
0: was going to bring in as Mm -hmm. kind of the the transition from from the daredevil stuff to you know to dark knight because i remember i was I don't know, like a high school junior, maybe a senior when, when Ronan came out and I did not get it, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted the Frank Miller daredevil guy.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but um, okay. If I can backtrack for a second. sure. When I was, when I was talking about um, some of the issues I have with how fine art is taught. Um, I don't want that to be confused with a lack of respect for, for, uh, the impressionists who I adore, and the post-impressionists, mm-hmm. and even into the abstract expressionists and stuff like that. I, there's still a lot of value in a lot of um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know 20th century work. So I don't, I don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm I, I'm pissing on that because I'm not. But and and then I'm I'm just playing catch up right now. To your <laughs> point about uh, not getting Kirby, I got Kirby as a kid um, uh-huh. because uh the first DC comic I I bought was Commandy The Last Boy on Earth. And I I was but I was a Marvel zombie and I made the connection that in these these Marvel triple action reprints of the Avengers and in Marvel's greatest comics, the the reprints of the Fantastic Four, those were both Jack Kirby and I had the light bulb go off because that's the commandy guy. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I was like, "This is the first artist I can recognize." But yeah. the funny thing is, the artist that I didn't get there—there there are a few of them. Um, I did not get Joe Hubert as a kid. I did not get him at all. It was sketchy, and mm-hmm. it looked wrong, and it was bad. And then, as an adult, when I looked and I, I I could look at the work and go, "I was an idiot."
1: <laughs> because, you
0: know, what, what I mistook for sketchy and bad is actually vibrant and gestural. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, a, a great kinetic vibe to the work. Um, also, as a kid, I did not get Frank Robbins, uh, who was oh, doing yeah. Captain America and <laughs> was doing the Invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still contend I'm not crazy about Robbins as a superhero artist. Mm-hmm. But my big shift was, you know, discovering his, his uh, Johnny Hazard stuff where, you know, you see the, the really solid Milton Kniff vibe to it. So at that point, I was like, oh, again,
2: I That's was an fine. idiot. <laughs> uh,
0: and then, okay, I'm, I'm almost done playing catch up. When when you're talking <laughs> about uh, 1986, for me, it's a little earlier than that. There's mm-hmm. this wonderful period um in both Marvel and DC that I, I refer to as like their auteur period. Uh, okay. Because you had you had Byrne on the FF. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> on Thor, and you had yep. Miller on Daredevil, and then even though it wasn't a singular artist or writer, you had um, Wolfman and Perez on the Titans, yep. and really you you could add Claremont to that to that visionary, mm-hmm. not visionary vo- uh, I've lo- I've lost the word. Autour. Uh, Autour, thank you. I, I'm like, <laughs> voyeur, no. <laughs> you know,
1: That's cool that. too.
0: <laughs> but like all of these books had really individual voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like the beginning of, of the crossover mania did not ruin that. And I'm not as fond of a lot of the contemporary comic stuff now where it's very event driven and it feels almost like they're trying to emulate a TV writer's room. Having said that they're very successful. So I don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah, for me, for me, that period from, you know, maybe, I don't know, 81, 82 up through like you, like you were saying, 86, 87, um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, after that, I, I did make the jump to independent comics. Uh, oh, yeah, as well. I like okay for me the really big uh, aha moment was um, when John Byrne left the FF because I I thought I was a huge fan of the FF, and he left it, and uh, you know there was like a shooter scripted issue three hundred and Steve Englehart whose Avengers work I had loved took over and then there was an awful run by Tom DeFalco and I want to say was it Ron Friends was drawing it but somewhere along the way I realized oh it's (laughs) it's not the FF that I love it's Burns you know because he made me like Superman and he made me like this, and that and that was the big thing where I where I was like I had the FF back to issue 20 at that time and I was like you know what I got masterworks. I'm fine. <laughs> I, I, I can quit this run. It's okay. Yeah. And that was really cathartic. And that was kind of the beginning of me saying, okay, I want to, I want to pursue, you know, just creatives that I like.
1: Mm-hmm. So that,
0: that was a big, a big sea change for me.
1: So for me, um, I think my, I think one of the first comics I, I sort of remember is an issue of Green Lantern, but I think Grell was doing the art. But then I was also reading the, the Roger Stern, John Buscema Avengers. So that's Tom Palmer inks Tom Palmer inks. Yeah. I mean, so that's how those characters should look and that's how stories should be told. Right. I mean, it's, right. it's from a, you know, it's not, you know I, I don't really have artist dna but that those artists are imprinted on my dna and that's how i approach you know visual storytelling so uh hey how's it going um <laughs> joey hi joey you know it's it's just so and you know and you're right you know we had the the boom in independent comics you know at around that time you know you have like you know dark horse spun up um well, that was a little bit later, but they had Legend. You know, they had John Byrne. They had you know Mike Mcnally. They had uh, Frank Miller with Sin City, which is you know jumping back to that. That's even a further right. You know uh, evolution of his style. You know well, and
0: they had my my favorite uh, Art Adams thing of all time, oh, yeah. which is Monkey Man and <laughs> O'Brien, which mm-hmm. I I still want him to go back to, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I loved the legend stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like some of the early independent comics, like uh, Eclipse doing Star Slayer mm-hmm. and First doing uh, John Sable freelance. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, I, I can't not talk about the yes, Rocketeer because-
1: Exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm
2: a big one. super fan um, too. <laughs>
0: and yeah, you know, Steve Root on Nexus. Uh, all of that stuff was, uh, oh my gosh, the, the Hernandez brothers on uh, on Love and Rockets. It's like that. That was the thing for me, you know. Eighty six was not just like. Well, I think I, I think Dark Knight and Watchmen both kind of opened my eyes, and I started looking at at some of these other things. And yeah, being introduced to those independent books, um, particularly. Steven's on the rocketeer and rude on nexus and Jaime Hernandez on on love and rockets was just that well, that such, was something for me.
1: They're such singular visions. I mean yeah. the rocketeer is I mean Dave Stevens you know poured out blood and sweat and tears and his soul onto the page. For the rocketeer and you know what we got is is amazing you know and uh, it's sad that we don't have more because you know he's not with us uh, right but you know it's it's kind of you know there's nothing better than flipping through some quarter boxes and finding <laughs> one of his covers you know like I can't not buy. I have three copies that I'm buying again.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, like the. Uh, sorry, I took a drink and now I've got ice in my mouth. <laughs> the the third issue of uh, the Rocketeer Adventure magazine, which was the that's the last story that he did. Mm-hmm. The third issue after Kimiko had uh, declared bankruptcy and he. He had to put it in the, the drawer while uh, Andrew Rev was saying Kamiko owned all this stuff. Once that got solved and issue three came out through Dark Horse, I, st- oh, I, I have multiple copies of that book, and they're all beat to crap because until the, the remastered version of that came out, that third issue in my mind was the most beautiful comic book ever made. You know, not just the artwork, but um, just the way that he colored that issue, and it lived on my desk for for years. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a few of those kind of books <laughs> where you know on my drafting table it was just there, and um, that was the cool thing when like artist editions came out through through oh, IDW, yeah. because those to me were like the Rosetta Stone on. <laughs> you know, line weights and all these other things you could look and say, well, I have an 11 by 17 sheet of paper here and I can look at, you know, this 11 by 17 book and I'm inking too small. I, you know, yeah. my, my line needs to be heavier. And that was the coolest thing in the world uh, to, to start figuring out. And I still ink too small, but at least I, I, I was starting to put it together. And that, that was such a great tool.
1: Yeah. And I, I just love the art so much. I've got the the Dave Stevens Artist Edition in the drawer behind me here, uh, or the shelf behind me. Getting the Simonson. Sure. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> I see this, the Simonson. You know he, you know, The yep. Walt Simonson Thor's. Um, there's the Mike Mcnilla Hellboy. You know, I, and that's actually someone that I remember seeing his art on, a, like a cover of Alpha Flight. You know this is a long time ago, and going, "Oh my God, that is so ugly, right. <laughs> you know, and of course, later, <laughs> God, I was an idiot. Yes, I'm an idiot. Um, just realizing, you know what he's doing, you know with with the blacks, you know, spotting you know and 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 silhouette and and just contrasts and all the things that he does so well. And then the design, uh, the way Hellboy is designed, and how that speaks directly to his character you know, with the with the kind of the the, yeah. the bent shoulders and, and all that. I mean, it's it's brilliant. You know, it's just it's finally seeing that.
0: Well, yeah, like the the turning point for me with with Mignola was uh, the Topps Comics uh, adaptation of the the Coppola yep. Dracula. Yeah. Um, and like, I, lo- I, I love his current work as well. And I, I love, you know, when he uses kind of the, 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 the thin deadweight line and then he'll spot, you know, a bunch of chunky blacks in, in there. But, oh boy, there, there's something about that period from uh, the Dracula adaptation through uh, the story that ran in Dark Horse Presents, The Wolves of St. August. Oh, um, yep. that is my favorite Mignola period. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I love it all, but my favorite Beatles album is still Revolver. And so <laughs> I, I, I look at like Wolves of St. August is as, as Mignola's Revolver, where he's <laughs> starting to experiment with how that works. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, so beautiful, especially in black and white. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
1: That's, I mean, they're so. We could go on talking about art all night, but it's getting late. Let's. Oh yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Well, no, it's let's really late uh, for you. Oh no, I'm I'm Central Time. So, oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Screw people um, on the East Coast.
1: That's right. Uh, <laughs> I've got a friend. I, I've got a friend that's you know. I'm like, are you? You know, are you Central Time or you know Eastern Time? He says, "I'm Central Time, as God intended." So. <laughs> well played. <laughs> so, I'm waiting for
0: Kevin to type something
1: yeah let's uh let's go ahead and swing back to ev and the helsings which i said it correctly yes all right um and let's i've got the the project link up here uh so that's kickstarter.com slash project steve bryant slash evie dash and dash the dash helsings dash one so Go or, check it out, and let's yes. Oh, you've got a short link for us.
0: We we can redirect just from evieandthehelsing's dot
1: Awesome, very cool. Well, let's go through the uh, let's go through the pitch one more time, and just you know, for anybody that showed up late, and tell us about Evie and the Helsing's.
0: The last member of the Van Helsing family of monster hunters has died, and the mantle falls to her daughter, who just wants to play in a rock and roll band. So that's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets This is Spinal Tap by way of Ash versus Evil Dead.
2: So nice.
0: It's, uh, or like on the Kickstarter page, I did say, you know, if you found yourself bobbing your head to the music in Peacemaker, this book is for you. If you rooted for Eddie Munson in, uh, in uh, Stranger <laughs> Things, this book this is book for
1: is... you. So. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, tell you what, I am going to, if you want to hang, feel free to hang. I'm going to talk about uh, the campaigns that are still live uh, that, uh, you know, we that have been on the show previously. Yeah. And um, we'll go from there. Hey, Shawnee, um, thanks for hanging out. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. We could probably just sit and talk about art for about eight or 12 <laughs> hours. And, you know, I would learn a lot, but
0: I uh, don't.
1: I'm <laughs> I'm old and I need sleep sometimes too so same <laughs> all right so what have we got here on my list let's see uh, looks like we have crossroads uh, which is a mystery horror horror comic and I'm not quite sure what that one completely is but check it out because uh, you need to okay um, and then this was on the show I was unfortunately I was prepping for the con last week and as an old man i'm trying to run <laughs> now and when i say run i mean run <laughs> and i was worn out last week so I-, I was a wimp but so we had on last week we had uh this how to build an army uh it's a manga for everyone uh, go check that out
0: it's a great name
1: yeah, <laughs> and still running. I think they are, maybe have a week week left, uh, but uh, Thoughts Get Comics uh, by our friend uh, Matt merrill and it is uh, for issues two and three. You can also get the first issue, but uh, definitely worth checking out. It, uh, it's got lots of different artists uh, that, uh, that Matt's working with, in kind of a a Twilight Zone-esque, you know, short story approach uh, anthology that's still kind of connected. And then uh, we haven't had Brant or Lisa on the show in a while, and I am calling you out, Brant and Lisa, (laughs) Uh, but uh, they've got a a Torch Night Games. They've got some diamond paintings uh, running right now. Uh, I believe uh, they also have... Yeah, they and they also have another puzzle. Uh, let's see, Wonderland, Oz, Neverland. I think, I think Wonderland is it. I'm not sure, but go check it out. <laughs> and I think that's about all we have right now. Um, you still need to go check out Evie and the Helsing's because Steve's awesome, and you know, you want it. We we need to be able to bring him back on the show and. So we can talk more art, you know, and, and maybe mock Kevin a little bit, but we'll, we'll do I'm, that later. I'm there for that. I <laughs> okay. Am <here> for that. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, everyone. I think we're going to call it tonight and, uh, Land of Oz is the newest one on Kickstarter. Thanks, Shawnee. Uh, and Shawnee, thanks for hanging out. Thank and you. I think that that is going to be it for this week. Uh, Thanks again, everyone, and go back, Evie, and the Helsings.
0: Thank you for having me. We'll see you
1: later. (laughs) Good night, everyone.